Hello, and welcome to the Formal Review. Today, we'll be having a very special episode looking at three different movies. Now sit back, relax, grab your drinks, and let's talk about these movies. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Formal Review. This is Season 4, Episode 29, and I thank you all for tuning in once again. Now, welcome to the first episode in the Oscar Academy Awards series as we are now in awards season, and there's still a lot of movies to be seen. So every year, I watch all the films that have been nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and then all the acting categories. I then sometimes watch the screenplay movies if I have time or if there's only one or two that I haven't seen. Now that the films have been nominated, there's a long list of them that I I haven't seen yet so there's only about a month to put out all these analyses so we're going to be increasing the amount of films covered in each episode two three for this limited amount of time and then at the end of it all I'll have a full episode going into my thoughts and predictions for the Oscars but in this episode I will be going into King Richard drive my car and don't look up so stay tuned Now, before I get into anything, I do want to preface this episode with a slight spoiler warning for these three films. As I always say, I do suggest seeing the films before you have to hear what I have to say about it so you fully understand everything. I will do my best to keep the analysis fairly vague, but if you don't care about that, just keep listening. Also, I know I talk about this at the end, but the data shows that most people don't listen to that part, so I want to talk about it here and reiterate the importance of leaving reviews on your favorite subscription services. I do read those because I do want to grow because these episodes are really for all you listeners out there and i want to keep this entertaining so what do you want to hear do you want to hear games do you want to hear more of the 4k stuff do you want to hear me talk about a certain movie if you want to come on and talk to me about something for you want to debate i'm always open to do stuff like that so you can always reach out to me on social media i always want to grow and improve and just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved so if there's something that you want me to improve on let me know and i will grow as such anyway now back to the movies at hand now if you want to skip ahead to the respective films if you want to skip ahead to King Richard please go to the approximate three and a half minute mark and if you want to hear drive my car you can go to the seven and a half minute mark and if you want to go to the analysis on don't look up skip ahead to the 13 and a half minute mark anyway let's sit back relax grab your drinks and let's talk about these movies King Richard is a biographical drama directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green and written by Zach Bailin. It follows the life of Richard Williams, the father and coach of the famed tennis players Venus and Serena Williams, who also were executive producers on the film. It stars Will Smith in the title role, Ajinu Ellis, Sania, Sidney, Demi Singleton, Tony Goldwyn, and John Berthal. Now this film has Richard telling almost everyone that his daughters are born to be stars and that he has an 84 page plan to achieve that dream. Now, it's one that most have heard before when it comes to biopics. It's even one that somewhat feels too good to be true. Now, like any film based on a true story these days, the end of the film has a montage of real-life footage intended to assure the audience of its accuracy. However, in addition to that, like a lot of other biopics, this is not a documentary, and as such, it does take some liberties with the story for dramatic effect. However, there are still some real-life moments in the film that it recreates. Both Venus and Serena Williams 
Williams were producers on this film and did give their film the blessing, which does give it some credibility. It does have some small details such as the family Volkswagen bus or Venus's hair beads when she's up against Vicario. And then it also does well with the bigger details such as Richard coming from Louisiana and having run-ins with the Ku Klux Klan. Now the Williams sisters grew up in Compton where Richard began training them when they were only four years old. This film does remove the fact that he also trained the middle daughter who was a talented tennis player, trained with them and might as well become the third Williams sister if she did not injure her back. Now the main but also small change was that Richard was not really interested in tennis because it was a sport that featured few black athletes. He became more interested in the sport after watching a women's match on TV and hearing that the winner won $30,000. Now this film definitely puts Richard in a more sympathetic light even though he was an extremely controversial figure during the 1990s. Honestly one could say that it almost rewrites the story to show this dedicated father figure instead of a man who used questionable tactics to push his daughters. Some of the questionable acts that Richard did with his daughters was that he banned his daughters from dating to basically remove the idea of motherhood from their minds and he also ripped off heads of dolls that the girls brought home. And all of this is to say that King Richard is not a true story but it's more of a Hollywood biopic that one should take with a grain of salt. It's a great story no doubt but it's also a specific version of that story. But honestly one cannot really deny that he and his daughters have lived an incredible life. Now. Having said that as well, this film seemingly is almost rewritten in a way that Richard seemingly wrote this screenplay himself. Because Richard is honestly the hero of this film, and this, it shows him as the main reason for everything that happens to the Williams sisters. From that point of view, this is very much a Will Smith film, and he does give a very committed and excellent performance as Richard Williams. Smith has been a fantastic actor for many years, from actual acting films to action stories, and in this one, he does capture Richard's personality and physicality, the diction, and also the Louisiana accent that Richard was known for. And the girls who play Venus and Serena Williams are also great and fairly believable as the young people who will eventually become the future tennis all-stars. Now, director Green is able to emphasize the human story while also putting in the behind-the-scenes contracts, sponsors, and coaching philosophy that not a lot of people know of. And really, it does show how a black family was able to conquer the very white sport of tennis and really how Richard pushed them to get them to succeed. But for a film about famous tennis playing sisters, one, there's not that many, there's not that much tennis. You don't see them step really on a court for about 30 minutes and then there's some tennis and then there's not much more until the last half an hour, which is basically all tennis. There's a lot of lecturing and also intertwined with some great scenes. Now, Honestly, it is a very odd choice to take the story of possibly two of the greatest American athletes ever and make it about their father, even with Will Smith playing him. Now, if you want to learn about the full scope of the Williams' careers and challenges, there's plenty of films that were made by ESPN. Now, the acting is on point here. The themes are great. The ending and the direction is great. However, it does struggle with the details of the true story and again, weirdly focuses on the father figure and not the daughter. And I would rate this honestly a 4 out of 5. Now on to the next film. Doraibu Maika 
or in English, Drive My Car, is a drama film co-written and directed by Aisuke Hamaguchi. It is based on the Haruki Murakami short story of the same name from his 2014 short story collection, Men Without Women, while also taking inspiration from other stories in it. Now, the script here opens in Tokyo with an actor and theater director, Yasuki, played by Nishijima, being married to a screenwriter, Oto, and their relationship is very complex, to say the least. Oto gets her inspiration for her stories during intercourse, and Yasuke helps her remember what she said the following day. Now, on top of that, she's cheating on him, and he lets it happen because they lost a daughter some years earlier, and they seemingly need each other. Now, there's analysis into this type of behavior that I won't go into here. However, after returning home late one night, he finds her dead from a cerebral hemorrhage on the floor. Now, fast forward two years, and Yasuke is still wrestling with grief and questions his marriage to Oto. Then, when producers ask him to put on his play, they require a driver for him because of a prior accident a while back. Now, this brings in Misaki, played by Toko Miura, who serves as a very stone-faced chauffeur. And their relationship with each other gives way for a place for Yasuke to get this reliable and ultimately a place where he can really be true to himself. Now, she waits for him during long days of rehearsal and gives him a smooth ride home, which allows him to focus on himself and honestly give a deep connection with Misaki. This story of the film parallels a lot with the play that Yasuke is putting on. The play was first directed by a man who encourages actors to have an inner experience that would appear in their physical actions on stage. And Yasuke attempts to do a similar action with his actors speaking various languages that he also projects on a screen their translated dialogue above the stage. Now, as they perform the multiple languages, they require to know everything very well so that their delivery is true and not just a fake acting moment. Now, this aligns really with Yasuke's own journey of, of trying to stop avoiding his personal trauma. Now, in one of these rehearsals, Yasuke plays a character. He becomes overwhelmed by it when he sees the relationship of this character to his life. He tells one of his actors that the text is questioning you and if you listen and respond it will speak to you. This is the same thing that really Yasuke and Misaki have nothing to do but really think about their late wife and mother respectively. These rehearsals lead to drama between Yasuke and his actors, one of with whom his wife actually slept with. Now Yasuke then casts him in a role that's well beyond the young actor's skill and this is essentially a fork in the road that Yasuke sees on whether or not he can move on. In this moment, he's able to confess his complicated life with Misaki and realize that even though it was complicated, his and Oto's relationship was real. And additionally, through this, Misaki learns that to accept her abusive mother still loved her. This film shows that the car is a very comfortable place from the beginning of the film. It's where Yasuke finds solace even before the death of Oto, and now it's a space where he can even be with his wife, even though it's temporary. And the director really put this even into the film more symbolically when the film crossfades from the car's wheels to the cassette reels to essentially say that Oto's voice, and thus Oto herself, was fueling the car. And this also signifies a forward 
forward movement when dealing with trauma and or mental illness. One can move forward, but that doesn't mean that something always goes away completely. It will always come back around, even if the car is miles away from its original location. Now, both Nishima and Miura, as Yusuke Misaki respectively give superb performances and really Hamaguchi's direction is really able to create the overall calmness with a very simple shots. At the end of the day, this film is about being true to yourself. And one important line of dialogue is that if we hope to truly see another person, we have to start by looking within ourselves. And this film allows Yusuke and Misaki to address their failures, forgive themselves, and move forward. And it emphasizes the importance of the road ahead instead of just going around in circles the same thing every single day and just asking questions that no one really can answer except for ourselves. And this film really does succeed with its themes, its acting, its story, its details, and its ending. Now, is it one that I would revisit? Probably not anytime soon, but like the wheels on the cassette tapes, eventually I will. It was an amazing film, but it was slightly long, and it does feel that way. So I would rate it a 4.5 out of 5. And let's get on to the final film in this episode. Don't Look Up! Don't Look Up is an apocalyptic black comedy film written, produced, and directed by Adam McKay. It stars an ensemble cast consisting of Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Rob Morgan, Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance, Tyler Perry, Timothy Chalamet, Ron Perlman, Ariana Grande, Scott Muscuti, Kate Blanchett, and Meryl Streep. And it tells the story of two astronomers attempting to warn humanity about an approaching comet that will destroy human life as we know it on planet Earth. This film really is a very obvious allegory for climate change and also other types of scientific research and really is a satire of government, political, and media indifference to those things. And a lot of how somebody's going to view this film is really comes down to what you think of the film's politics as it was made with the very explicit aim of encouraging viewers to take climate change seriously as many people in the social media and internet have already noted. Now the problem, the biggest problem with this film is that it doesn't work perfectly as an allegory because when you compare a very long-term threat of climate change versus a very immediate threat of a comet, one is that a lot more serious. And from here on, I'm honestly gonna tell how this film ends and I'm gonna go into heavy spoilers. I will say go see it, it is entertaining for a little bit, but you have to kind of think about it a little bit more. Anyway, this is your spoiler warning. So this film is very obviously satire, but speaking as someone who got their education in public health and scientific research, it is also a fairly accurate film about society's terrifying non-response to scientific research that honestly I've ever seen. Now, most people are gonna take this film and see its relatability to the climate issue that the earth is going through right now, but it is also relatable to the pandemic that we are going through right now. Now in the film, the scientists are essentially alone with this knowledge and they're being ignored and really gaslighted by society. Now in the film, the two astronomers are given one 20 minute audience with the president who is glad to hear that the impact isn't technically 100% certain. And because it doesn't really affect her election so much, she's not going to look on it too much and she's just going to assess everything. So the scientists then go 
go on a national morning show, but the TV hosts make light of their warning and really then just focus on this celebrity breakup story. Then it is confirmed by scientists all around the world, and then the political wind shifts, which then changes the president to initiate a mission to divert the comet, but then she changes her mind at the last moment because a billion dollar donor wants to try to guide it to have a safe landing to claim its precious metals. Let's be honest here. It's so obvious of what this film is trying to do. It's obviously not just about how humanity would respond to this. It's a film that is how humanity is responding to scientific research such as climate change or a pandemic. Now our society is one where people, despite there is clear, present, and worsening climate danger and how a pandemic happens, still say that climate change is a hoax and also vaccines are completely fake or completely not needed. When talking about the pandemic, in the first six months, the US had about 2.6 million COVID cases. Now, as of this recording, there has been about 4.15 million cases of coronavirus with about 5.8 million deaths due to COVID in the entire world, reported to the WHO. Now, getting vaccinated against this helps protect people from getting sick or severely ill with COVID, and it can also help protect people around them. Now, this is one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to the vaccine, because a lot of people are against it because they think, oh, it doesn't cure it. Well, vaccines aren't meant to cure it. It's really helping to protect you from being severely ill. Vaccination, at the end of the day, is the most effective method of preventing infectious diseases and immunity to many types of diseases due to vaccination. And you can look at multiple cases of this happening in the past, such as the eradication of smallpox, and then also restricting diseases such as polio, measles, tetanus from the much of the world. And the effectiveness of vaccines has been widely studied and verified. Now, vaccinations given to children, adolescents, adults are all generally safe. Adverse effects, if any, are generally mild. Now, the rate of side effects really does obviously depend on the vaccine question. As with any medical treatment, including just taking a over-the-counter ibuprofen from your local drugstore, there is a potential for complications, such as allergic reactions. The difference here is that vaccines are, are given to healthy people instead of taking to, as a reason for a cure. So a higher standard of safety is obviously demanded. This is all really going into how these things are developed. At the end of the day, while serious complications from vaccinations are possible, they are extremely rare and much less common than similar risks from the diseases that they prevent. Certain illnesses such as the flu remain so common that even vaccine-hesitant people mistakenly think getting the illness is a reason to not to get the vaccine because they can survive it. And this is really just due to omission and obviously disconfirmation of biases that also contribute to vaccine hesitancy. Now, when you look at history, since the infamous 1998 paper by Andrew Wakefield that was later retracted because it was incorrectly relating the MMR vaccine to autism. There has been a group of people that have come around that have been vaccine deniers or more commonly known as anti-vaxxers and they have been exponentially growing over the years. Now survey from the American Academy of Pediatrics found 
that the rate of parents who refused one or more recommended vaccines increased from 9.1% in 2006 to 16.7% in 2013. Now this is really all due to the wealth of information that we have because of the internet. It's one, because it's accessible by many, but it also allows that things can be spread easily across social media platforms, no matter how verifiable they are. And it really is clear that the internet is now really showing how important health literacy and decision making is. And there was a survey done that 72% of adult users use the internet to search for information on their health issues. 26% of them said that they have read or watched somebody else's health experience about medical issues in the past 12 months. And 16% of internet users in the US have gone through online in the past 12 months to find others who have shared the same health concerns. Now, regarding in COVID and stuff, there's been estimated 58 million followers on anti-vaccination pages across the entire internet. Now, concerns about immunization safety really follow a pattern. First, some investigators suggest that a medical condition or increasing prevalence of an unknown cause is an adverse effect of vaccination. Now, the initial study and subsequent studies by the same group have really inadequate methodology and really are poorly controlled. And then a premature announcement is made about the alleged adverse effect, which then resonates with individuals who suffer from the condition. And then basically they state that there's some potential harm about the vaccine to those whom the vaccine could actually protect. Now, other groups also attempt to replicate the initial study, but then when the study is then replicated, they fail to get the same results. And then on top of that, once the initial doubt in the vaccine is there, it takes several years to regain that confidence to get people to have take the vaccine. And this comes from just a, another claim as well that science isn't science claim. And this really comes from a misunderstanding of what science is and scientific research. Science and research and how that dives into vaccines is that they're not supposed to be 100% accurate. Research and science are things that are really never ending and no result is ever perfect. As a reminder, if you didn't learn this in elementary school or when you were a child, this really comes from the scientific method. Now, I'm gonna go over this because I think some people forget about the basic steps in this. The first is observe a natural phenomenon and then get a question about it. Step two, make a hypothesis or a give a potential solution to the to the thing that you're questioning. Then you test it. If what you find is true, then you find more evidence on it or maybe some counter evidence. If the hypothesis is false, you have to create a new hypothesis and then try again. And then you draw conclusions and then you repeat the study to see if it replicates it. Now, this is really how we have to understand our world. The conclusions drawn from that, no matter what they are, will allow you to get a conclusion and then look for other answers if you need to. This is kind of an example. Let's put it this way, an observation. My toaster doesn't work. So question, is there something wrong with my electrical outlet? Hypothesis, if there's something wrong with the outlet, my coffee maker also won't work when plugged into it. Experiment, I plug the coffee maker into the outlet. Result, my coffee maker works. Conclusion, so the outlet works, but my toaster won't toast my bread. Now, the refine the hypothesis, so my toaster is broken. Now, we could maybe then try to see plugging it into another outlet, see if the toaster actually is broken. 
then we get to a conclusion. And this is a very basic example, but the process again would be just then repeated with a refined hypothesis. And this is why society does clinical trials prior to giving any medication to humans of any kind, no matter whether it's a vaccine or again, ibuprofen that you go to your local CVS or Walgreens or Rite Aid to pick up. Every medication has to be tested to be approved. Now, clinical trials show that the COVID vaccines are safe and effective people with underlying medical conditions, including those that place them for at risk for severe COVID-19 symptoms compared to people without underlying medical conditions. Now let's back up a bit and let's discuss how vaccines work and then compare them to how the body fights illnesses. Now when germs, such as the virus that causes COVID-19, goes into your body, it attacks and multiplies. And this invasion or infection is what causes the illness and then the body's immune system that uses several tools to fight infections such as macrophages, T cells, and B cells. For those who don't know biology, macrophages are the white blood cells that swallow up and digest germs or dead or dying cells. And then they lead behind parts of the invading germs called antigens. Now the body will then identify those antigens as dangerous and stimulate antibodies to attack them. Now B cells are the defensive white blood cells. They produce antibodies that attack the pieces of the virus left behind by the macrophages. And then T cells attack the cells in the body that have already been infected. Now when somebody is initially infected without any vaccination, it can take several days or weeks for their body to make and react to all these germ and use these germ fighting tools to get over the infection. Now, after the infection, the person's immune system remembers what it has learned about how to protect the body against that disease. Now, where a lot of anti-vaxxers say is that natural immunity works for them. While this is true for a specific person, that does not mean it will work for someone else. If vaccinated already, the memory happens instantly after prime infection. If you're not vaccinated, then it will happen naturally. The point is that if you don't mind the extra time, somebody else might. And that several days or weeks may be too long for them. This is why people should be vaccinated because it is better for society as a whole. Vaccination doesn't prevent transmission. It helps with the severity of the disease. Now, if you're okay with putting your body at risk, that is ultimately fine. The problem is, is when you're putting others at risk as well. If you look just from a timeline perspective, let's just say, as a healthy 31 year old, you're able to develop all this naturally and you're fine. But somebody who's, let's just say 65, they need to have that happen instantly. They can't wait several days or several weeks. And even so, because of the initial infection, because of the vaccination, your immune system is exponentially more prepared than it is even if you have quote unquote natural immunity. You're going to be better prepared no matter what with vaccination. It's basically if you're willing to risk yourself and willing to survive. There's been also like a misunderstanding of what the vaccines are. So Pfizer and Moderna are two vaccines that take messenger RNA and the Johnson Johnson vaccine has a harmless version of the virus that is unrelated to the virus that causes COVID. Now, these vaccines both give instructions to your body to create this immune response. And this response protects you from getting really, really sick with COVID in the future. Now, after the body produces this immune response, it discards all of the vaccine ingredients, just like it would discard any cell in your body that it no longer needs. This is something that the body normally does. And because vaccination is causes a more predictable immune response than infection with the virus that causes 19. So getting the vaccine gives people 
the highest level of protection against COVID-19 and it can provide additional protection for those who have already had it. Now, there has been one study that showed that people who already had COVID versus those who do not get vaccinated after the recovery are two times as likely to get it again than those who are fully vaccinated. Now all COVID-19 vaccines currently available in the US are affected at preventing this but even if you're trying to go with natural immunity the level of protection that you're getting just from having COVID will vary and also it just depends on again how mild or severe your illness was the time of your infection and your age. You could have a mild case one time but then you could potentially have a severe case next time. You don't really know. The vaccination will protect you because it creates that antibody response without you even having to experience that sickness. It also can protect people around you, especially with those who have increased risk for illness. Now, if you get it, you can cause severe illness or even death, and you can't really predict whether you're gonna have mild or severe illness. If you get sick with COVID, you can spread it to others. Now, if you're unvaccinated, you can also have long-term health effects after the initial infection. Now, the question is again, who should get vaccinated? Now, there are very limited people who should not take the vaccine. Now, those are people who have had allergic reactions to vaccines in the past and the only people that can tell them if they can or cannot are their doctors. Now the only other situation is that if you've had an allergic reaction to the COVID-19 vaccine then you shouldn't take that one again. So in other words if you got a reaction from either Pfizer or Moderna you shouldn't take those and you should take Johnson & Johnson. Now if you've got an allergic reaction from Johnson & Johnson then you should not take Johnson & Johnson and you should take Pfizer or Moderna. However you would only know this if you already took either of them once and if you took one then you can take the other and if you're allergic to both you're allergic to both but again you would have taken it at least once now there are two things that are mainly in these ingredients that are closely related to each other one of them is PEG which is an active ingredient in the mRNA vaccines and polysorbonate which is an ingredient in the Johnson Johnson vaccine now if you're allergic to PEG you should not get the Moderna or Pfizer and then you can try to get the Johnson Johnson now if you're allergic to polysorbate you should not get the Johnson Johnson vaccine you should try to get the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine now all of the other ingredients are ingredients that you could find majorly in your food, such as fats, sugars. None of them have eggs, gelatin, latex, preservatives, any types of metals, and they're also free of microelectronics, electrodes, carbon, nanotubes, and also nanowire semiconductors. There really isn't any reason when it comes to the ingredients why you shouldn't take it unless you already know that you are allergic to both of the things that are in the vaccines, which again, you would only know if your doctor told you that or you've just had really bad reactions to the vaccine previously but again that means you've taken it at least once so the next concern that a lot of people have is because of how these vaccines were developed so rapidly the problem with that is that scientists have been working for many years to develop vaccines against viruses like the one that causes COVID-19 and this is what helped speed up the initial development of the COVID-19 vaccines and all vaccines again medications in general have to go through three phases of clinical trials to make sure that they are safe and effective. Now, in regard to this situation, phases did overlap, but all phases were completed, and then they were approved by the FDA, and they continued to be monitored.
monitored, just like every other type of medication. And this is again, the scientific method. In short, COVID-19 vaccines teach our immune systems how to recognize and fight the virus that causes COVID-19. Sometimes the process can cause symptoms such as fevers. Now these symptoms are normal and are signs that the body is protecting yourself against the virus that causes COVID-19. Now going back again to how this really does apply to again, this, the COVID-19 pandemic that we're dealing with and also the climate change. And additionally, it looks how there's a lot of hypocrisy when it comes to certain things because there are people who still give subsidies to the fossil fuel industry and currently the White House is selling drilling lights to a huge track of the Gulf of Mexico, even though world leaders still say that climate is a quote, existential threat to humanity. And really, our world is overshadowed by sports and really entrepreneurs that push sky tech solutions and billionaires that have this fantasy. People really are failing to realize how serious and permanent the ecological breakdown will be if really people don't really mobilize to respond to science as a whole. We have lost so many people in this pandemic and then also the earth is breaking down really fast and data shows that even in certain areas of the United States aren't going to see as many white Christmases anymore because of climate constraints. The reason why it's so over the top is because we've reached that point in society. It conveys this really cold truth that a lot of scientists and researchers deal with today. We live in this honest denial state that may not be as out there as this film is really showing, but it is how some are feeling. Stories like this really show the absurdities that arise from knowing what's coming, but then also failing to act on it. However, this film really only shows how people irrationally respond. And honestly, when it comes to serious issues like this, there should be more films that show humanity responding rationally. This film had some of the highest amount of views in the short amount of time it was on Netflix and that could have been views that could have shown rationality instead of irrationality. Maybe you have a story that deals with the same thing but do not show the society's tragic side and show the hopeful side if we act correctly. At the end of the day though, the film works with its acting, its story, and its direction, but really kind of struggles with its themes and some of its details. So 3.5 out of 5. What did you think of these three movies? Let me know. Hit me up on social media. The formal review is on Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram, and also YouTube. The handle's all the same. It's at the formal review. And for anyone who has supported me on a financial basis, I thank you very much for supporting me in that way. For anyone who wants to support, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash the formal review. Click support this podcast, and any donation is appreciated. Thank you all again for tuning in. And until next time, wash your hands. If you're able to, get vaccinated. And I'll see you at the movies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Former Review. Cheers, and we'll see you next time. Characters.